weren't here last Sunday, we uh, looked at a verse that said, this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. The Hebrew word for rejoice literally is a word picture of doing a dance. You are so full of joy, you can't help, but you got to move and move and move and move and get it going. And praise God for the youth section that taught us how to dance this morning. And for Alex and the worship team, wasn't that good worship this morning to get out and rejoice. I want to encourage some of us to get with it and catch up with the rest of our student ministry, all right? As you dig in, you be sure and show up with your hearts of worship. Uh, Drew mentioned earlier, we're getting ready for recharge. A lot of changes coming as we kick off August the 10th. Please be paying attention, middle schoolers especially. You guys will now take over the sanctuary on Wednesday nights. This is going to be your new worship space on Wednesday. High school, you'll be moving from Sunday nights back to Wednesday, and you'll be in the annex. So help us spread the word. We're excited to kick off a new school year with a whole new strategy. Uh, the back half of this room, there'll be a wall eventually, and the back half will be where we'll eventually do meals. Those meals will start back up on the 17th. But on the 10th, when everybody comes back, it'll be kind of orientation night, getting all the new spaces laid out. Uh, youth will be doing their own thing. Children in preschool will do theirs. Adults, we will meet in room 143, which is right by the front doors. We'll have that room all set up. It's going to be a big tailgate party just to kind of lure you guys in. Here's a little picture of what's coming your way as you show up. We'll have all kinds of tailgate food laid out for you. You just be here, drop your kids off, jump in for some tailgating, and we will tell you about the classes that you could be a part of on Wednesday nights. It's going to be a good kickoff. Well, let's get into our sermon series on walking in the Spirit. You can either walk in the flesh or you can walk in the Spirit. You can live your new life in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, or you can have Christ in you, you're saved, but you're still living like you used to live. In John chapter 3, as Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he told him, Nicodemus, your problem is that you're not, it's not because you're not religious enough. He was the most religious probably in the city. He was a teacher of the Jews. He said, your problem is you've only been born once. You must be born twice. And then he taught Nicodemus. He said, whatever's been born of the flesh is flesh. We got to this earth. We became a part of this human experience because our parents birthed us. Flesh begot flesh. But to be spiritual, it isn't about going to church. It isn't about going to Falls Creek. He said, but spirit must bear, or, or, or through the spirit, we are born to be spiritual. It is a second birth. God births within us, our spirit which was dead comes alive when we receive Christ, and now we are, yes, still in this physical world, but now there's a difference. The difference isn't just where we're heading one day, the difference is a holy God now lives in me. That holy spirit lives in my life for a reason, so that as I live the rest of this life till I go to heaven, I live it in an abundant life, and I live it in the power of the Holy Spirit, but so few of us have ever tapped into that. Most of us have tapped into Jesus to be saved, but we've never experienced the work of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our life. In Galatians, it says, if you've been born of the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, then you should walk by the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, here's our survey list. Let's put it up on the screen. And we've asked you to kind of survey your life. Take a look. And look at those things and ask yourself, is this me? Am I being these things in this moment? And if I am, that is a picture that I'm walking life in the Spirit. If I'm doing anything other than that, if I'm the opposite of those things, then that's a picture that I'm walking my life in my own strength or in my own flesh. 
Those who are spiritual should walk by the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn back over to Matthew 13. We're looking at the parable of the soils. And Jesus said there are four conditions of the heart. He said the first one, there are some hearts that are just like hard pan in Oklahoma pastures uh, because they've been neglected, because of the heat, because there's no nourishment, no water, no tending to that soil. It becomes hard baked, hard pan. It's the hardened heart. And there are times in every one of our lives where if we're neglecting our hearts, our hearts can become hardened to the things of God. The second soil he pointed to was that kind of soil that was like uh, underlying limestone. It was rocky soil. On the top, it looked fertile. Uh, You could see topsoil, but it only went so deep. Sometimes, as Scripture taught, we allow the spirit of unbelief to be right underneath that soil where we want to walk by faith, and yet we still struggle with unbelief. It's like that bedrock, when the seed would be planted, it would hit that limestone, and it would shoot straight back up, but it wouldn't get rooted because it couldn't get down further into the soil. You let unbelief happen in your heart, the same is true. No matter what God's trying to do in your life, it will last only for a moment, just a week of Falls Creek, but not past that, because we allow that issue of unbelief. And then last week, he talked about a third kind of heart, a heart that is neglected, a heart that allows thorns and thistles to just naturally grow instead of spiritual things. So we've looked at three types of soil, and each one of them have their limitations. Each one of them had their issues because of neglect. But then Jesus brings us to another soil, a soil that is fertile. Now, if you're looking and being honest about your own heart, uh, let me just give you a parable of a forgotten land. Let's say one day you wake up and all of a sudden somebody says, you know, great-great-grandpa left a great-grandma a piece of land who's left to you now. You inherit this piece of land and you go out to check out this 20-acre property and when you get there, you are stunned. What once was a beautiful place where crops were grown and a productive farm now looks like a trash pen. It's been neglected for generations. It's just been left to its own and now it's full of thorns and thistles. Do you look at that 20 acres and say, what a worthless piece of property? The issue is not the soil as much as it's what has been allowed to happen to the soil. It isn't a bad piece of land, it's just a land that has been neglected. And if you would take that land over, if you would give care to that land, it could once again be fruitful and productive. It could be that it's been a while since you've given any attention to the soil. It could be that You've allowed other things to creep into the soil, other things to take over. You've just kind of been lazy with the land. So what do you do to turn a field around? Well, number one, you would have to clear the land. You'd have to go in and you'd have to take off that which is growing, those thorns and those thistles, thistles, and you'd have to rip them out of the soil. You'd have to get rid of what is bad. It's called repentance. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Jeremiah. See if you can find Jeremiah today. It is in your Bible. The Old Testament, find Jeremiah chapter 4, and Jeremiah was preaching to Israel, God's people. God's people who once had served him, loved him, but then had neglected the soil, their hearts. They'd allowed the stuff of this world, the stuff of their culture to creep in year after year, generation after generation, to where now they honor God with their lips, but not with their hearts. Jeremiah is raised up as a prophet, and he says this to Israel, 
The same that was being said to God's people in that day is the same thing that is true for us as God's people today as well. He said, if you will return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you should return to me. Beautiful things have happened this summer in the lives of our children and our youth. Uh, Some have come back to him. Some have come to know him for the first time. Others have said, I have strayed from where I need to be, and they've returned back to the Lord. Maybe today... That's going to happen in your heart. He said to Israel, you need to return to me if you will put away your detested things from my presence and you will not waver. I want you to understand that if your heart isn't where it needs to be today, if you find that there's too many thorns and thistles, that it's just not honoring God right now in your heart, you feel spiritually dry or spiritually dead, you need to return to the Lord. You need to repent. And repentance is not being sorry. I think every one of us in this room have been sorry for things we've done. We've been burned by our bad choices. We've done things we know we shouldn't do uh, intentionally sometimes and unintentionally sometimes. And we feel sorry in that moment. We feel bad, but that's not repentance. That's just sorrow. The Bible is very clear the difference between godly repentance and a worldly sorrow. You see, repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of direction. Notice what Jeremiah said. He said, you have distanced yourself from God, and God is saying to you, behind you, return back to me. For me to repent, I have to quit going in the direction I'm going, and I have to return back to the Lord. How many would say my heart is over there today, or my heart is centered in the will of God? Where's your heart? What's the condition of your soil? The first issue is you've got to clear the heart. You've got to clear the soil. You've got to get rid of those things. Look at what he said. Put away those detested things. Those things in our life that aren't holy. Look at what he said. Detested things from my presence. If you want God to be alive in your story and God alive in your heart, he is holy. The definition of holy is without sin, without thorns and thistles, if you will. And if I come into his presence or attempt to come in his presence and I'm bringing that trash, those detestable things, into that, that doesn't work. It isn't because God doesn't love me. It's because my thorns and thistles separate me from holy fellowship with a holy God. I need to repent. I need to get rid of those things. I need to declare those things are detestable. Not only that, not only do I put those things away, but I need to be committed to that new direction look at what it says and make sure that you do not waver you can't go to false creek get under conviction because you gave a whole week on the lord and god speaks in your life and you deal with that and you put those things away and say man i repent of that and then come back from camp and say yeah but i'm still a teenager Moms and dads, we can't just make a decision on Sunday morning and then go back to work or back into our homes and just keep going like we were going. We cannot waver back and forth, back and forth. No, clear the ground and don't let the thorns back in. Be committed to a holy walk with a holy God. But it starts with repentance. Verse 2 of Jeremiah chapter 4 says, And you will swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and righteousness. Then the nations will bless themselves in him, and in him they will glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. 
and do not sow among thorns. So we start by repenting, that's wiping off those things that shouldn't be there, the things that are unfruitful. But then we have to then deal with what's left behind, the fallow ground. That word fallow in the Old Testament in Hebrew literally means untilled soil. It's a picture of a field that was just neglected and just left to itself. And anything left to itself will always decay. It will always turn over to thorns. You can't just pray over a piece of ground and say, man, I I want an apple orchard. God, send apples. It doesn't just happen. You're going to get thorns. You have to invest in the soil and you have to plant those right seeds and you have to take care of that soil. Same is true of your heart. What are you planting in your heart? Let God till up that hardened soil, that hardened heart. Let God and say, God, today not only do I repent, but God, I need you to do a fresh work in my heart. Have you surrendered your heart unto the Lord? He said, you've got to break up your fallow ground. And then make sure you don't sow among the thorns. If I've learned anything this summer again or been reminded, it's pretty fascinating. We've gone through one of the hottest summers in a long, long time. It's always hot in Oklahoma, but it's been brutal in this neck of the If you've watched the, the news, there's one spot from Oklahoma down through the middle part of Texas, and it's like uh, a living illustration. Did you hear what Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, said? He's been in Tulsa and he said, I guess God brought me to Tulsa to get me ready in case I end up in hell. I'm going to know what it feels like. Pray for Sylvester Stallone that he has better peace than that. But he painted a picture of reality. That's That's what it feels like. But what have you noticed? Vegetation, your yards, your gardens, what happens during the heat without water and without care? Everything that is healthy dies. Everything. But have you noticed what thrives in this heat? Thorns and thistles. Do nothing. Neglect the land. You don't have to plant thorn seeds. They just grow on their own. And the same thing is true in our hearts. If we don't protect this soil, thorns and thistles will just naturally grow on their own. That's the fruit of the flesh. So Jeremiah was reminding him, you need to repent. You need to break up the fallow ground and make sure you get rid of all the thorny soil. Take a look at this picture and you can see the reality. While everything else is dying, these thorns are thriving. And they will grow and they will spread and they will thicken and they will take over the soil. All because no one is caring for the land. So how do you care for the soul? How do you deal with it? You've got to start with repentance. Everybody turn over to 2 Corinthians today. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul teaches us the difference between a fertile soil and still trying to plant God's stuff among the thorns. He says there are some people that go halfway. They, they feel sorry for their sin. And Paul said, I'm praying for you and I'm thankful for you because you're not like the world. Look at what he says. I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful. You remember when, when you messed up? And you remember how you felt and you were, felt icky inside? Especially if your parents found out. Remember how sorry we got? Right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Remember how we begged 
Because we know, I don't know if they still, this generation probably doesn't get spanked anymore. Uh, my generation got spanked. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I needed it. My brother needed it more. And he got it. And we were sorry. But it didn't stop us from still doing that stupid stuff. Because we really weren't sorry. We were just sorry we were fixing to get a spanking. We were sorry we were going to get grounded. We were sorry we didn't get to go be with our friends on the weekend. We were sorry for us, but we weren't sorry about the sin. There's two kinds of sorrow. He says, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Two kinds of sorrow. I can give you a picture. You can get this from the New Testament. Two people betrayed Jesus radically the last night before the cross. Judas, who sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, who said he'd never do it, denied him three times and cussed him the third time straight to his face. Cussed him out to his face. Both denied Christ. Both felt terrible after they did what they did. The Bible says Judas, when he realized what he had done, he was so sorrowful, he felt so bad, he went and hung himself. Worldly sorrow. Peter, the Bible says he couldn't believe what he had done in that moment. The Spirit of God convicted him because he was a child of God. It says he went out into the night and he wept bitterly. He was breaking up the fallow ground. He confessed to a holy God, God, I am obviously not where I need to be. God, this soil, I've let some thorns get in here, some pride, some ego. I, I let my flesh take over. Lord, God, break me. He wept bitterly over his sin. When's the last time we wept over our sin? Oh, we get sorry. We feel bad. Oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I'll never do it again. We make all kinds of deals with God, but we never break up the fallow ground. There is a worldly sorrow and there is a sorrow that is according to the will of God. Which one have you experienced? So if you have this bad piece of property, first thing you have to do is you've got to clear off the thorns and the thistles, repentance. The second thing you have to do is now you've got to break up the foul ground. You've got to prepare the soil. That's called devotion. That's saying, I'm going to invest in this heart. I'm going to guard it, I'm going to protect it, and I'm going to feed it. That's the second phase. I want you to write these phases down because I want you to ask yourself a question. Which phase of the harvest am I in in relationship to my heart? Do I need to repent? Is there something I need to get rid of? Are there thorns and thistles that need to be ripped out? Have I allowed God to break my heart? Am I devoted to taking care of this heart where God resides? Number three, then you have to plant new seed. Instead of the things we used to plant in our heart, the things we allow to set up in our life, now we get back to planting God's seed, God's word, a time with God, walking with God. Some research that's come out recently, it says those who spend one to three times a week, sometime in the word and sometime with God, start to see some spiritual activity in their life. But for those who spend four to seven days a week, those who have a daily walk with God, statistically it's astronomical how much more fruit comes from that life joy security faithfulness instead of struggling with sin they find victory it's, it, I could give you all the statistics and you'll see them soon it's incredible what happens when we daily take care of our hearts if you just do a yard and water it once a week you'll lose the yard 
If you just water the garden once a week, it may last through May, part of June, but I promise you by the end of June and July, it's gone. You have to daily care for the soil. So many of us show up thinking Sunday's going to do it. I'm going to give God my Sunday. I'm going to do what I do Monday through Saturday, and we wonder why there's no fruit. Number four, not only do we need to plant new seed, his word, but four, we've got to fertilize it and water it daily. It's a daily walk, not just a once-a-week walk. It's allowing the Lord to be the Lord of my days every day. And number five, as you walk with the Lord, as you deal with that daily walk, you have to keep feeding and keep weeding the soil. That's faithfulness. The Bible tells us that what we plant determines the harvest. You will reap what you sow. According to what you've sown, it will dictate the harvest as long as you take care of that seed. If I plant apple seeds, I'm going to get apples. If I plant corn, I'm going to get corn. And when I do that, he says, so don't grow weary. In due time, you're going to get a harvest. Some of us grow weary and we get tired and we say, man, I don't know that I can keep doing this and I've got other things to do and we neglect the most important things that relate to the heart. And the last thing, the last thing that's part of the harvest is time and due time, perseverance. In our first service, Larry Blair is one of our members of this church out from the Cashin area. He and his family have had a harvest every year since 1901 here in Oklahoma. This summer, they just did their last family harvest. Larry's brother passed away this year. Larry has decided to retire, and they have done their last harvest. I had the privilege of going out to the homestead. They had their last one. They, they harvested many, many fields, and they did their very last crop right there at the old homestead, started back in 1901. I got to show up out with the family. I felt, some of you don't even know who the Waltons are, but I felt like it was a Waltons family reunion. People start pulling in out of nowhere out to this homestead. They get out of cars. They're bringing old picnic baskets and blankets, and they're bringing all this food in for the harvest, the family harvest. It was so cool. But I never in all my life, I grew up with a wheat field in my backyard in Enid, Oklahoma, the, the, the buckle of the, of the wheat belt. Never once was a part of a harvest. Always watched the farmers working, always watched it happen. I got to go on a ride on Larry's combine for the very last cut for that very last harvest. Dude, it was awesome. Air-conditioned cab, radio, and I got to take in the harvest. I didn't have to sweat a single drop, but I got to be a part of the harvest. And what I forgot about was that dust didn't pop up last week. They didn't just go outside and say, oh, I guess it's time for wheat, let's plant a seed, and a week later I get to harvest with them. Now, I wasn't there for all the toil and the sweat. I wasn't there for the hard work and ripping off the stuff that didn't belong in that ground and planting the right seed in and taking care of it day after day after day, week after week, and all this heat in due time. That means a long, long, long time, a lot of work, a lot of showing up every single day, and then comes the harvest. So your heart may not be where it needs to be today, but what are you going to do about it? You're going to keep neglecting it, or are you going to let God do something new? Go back to Matthew 13 quickly, and we'll try to wrap it up. 
Matthew 13, verse 23. So Jesus interprets this last kind of soil. He says, but there is a heart, there is a soil that's different than all the others. It's fertile soil. What does that soil look like? He explains, verse 23. For the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man, man right there means all mankind, it's not just for the male species, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. See the difference in this soil and all the others? It's fertile because it's been tended to. It's fertile because it has received the seed. And because the seed has been received, now there is root that bears great fruit. Look at the fruit. For some it brings forth a hundredfold, for some sixty, and some thirty. Notice what happens if we don't grow weary. Notice what happens if we tend to the soil. The Bible says that seed that gets planted will bear great fruit. When I was pastoring in Tulsa, we had an opportunity to go to Sturgis Week. If you know what Sturgis Week is, it's the biker week of all biker conventions. Uh, the year we went, there were 800,000 bikers up in Sturgis. Uh, we took a group up there, Southern Baptist, ran out a tent right on the corner across from the Motorcycle Museum, and they set up an opportunity for anyone who wants to win a Harley-Davidson free. All you have to do to turn your name in for the drawing is listen to a three-minute testimony. Churches from all over the land come, and we went that year. I should have put up my picture. I got a picture with some Hells Angels. It's so cool. I said, guys, I'm a preacher from Tulsa, man, and they, they didn't back up. They just kind of were stunned. Got to approach all kinds of people that week and approach them with the gospel. It was one of the coolest trips ever. But as we were heading to Sturgis, we stopped in Nebraska. Anybody ever been to Nebraska? Why? Why? Going somewhere? Okay, we were going somewhere. All that Nebraska, you know what they have in Nebraska? Corn. Corn everywhere. So we stopped halfway there. Our bikers were tired. I was driving the truck in air conditioning just to serve my team. And uh, probably so I wouldn't wreck on that one either. And as, it's not funny, as we got there, we stopped and we stayed at this motel. And right behind the motel, it looked like somebody needed to build a baseball field in a cornfield. We're surrounded by corn. We got up the next morning, we had devotions, and God just led us right into that cornfield. And we had the devotion on the parable of the corn. See, we were going a bunch of crazy rednecks really not even true bikers, trying to hang out in Sturgis, trying to take the gospel to 800,000 people, and we didn't know if we'd even make a dent. And then we remember the parable of the soil. God promised that if we would have our hearts ready, if we would receive the seed that God has, there would be a bountiful harvest. You know, if you take one little itty-bitty dried-up little kernel of corn and you stick it in fertile soil, do you know what it can produce? Take a look on the screen. It can produce an ear of corn. Matter of fact, it can actually produce two ears of corn. And depending on what kind of corn you're growing, that one little kernel, they tell us, can produce one ear of corn that can produce 500 to 1,200 kernels on that one ear. In some cases, two ears, double. Nearly 2,000 kernels come from one seed that was planted in fertile soil. 
we got there to Sturgis and we began to share each afternoon, our team alone led 23 people to Christ just over two days. It was a powerful, powerful thing. And that wasn't us. That was God alive in us. That was God working through our story, pointing to his story. That was people who were walking in the spirit. They were taking life to people who were spiritually dead. The harvest. When a heart is fertile soil. So how did it get fertile? What's the difference in this soil and the other soils? He mentions a couple things. Number one, he says, they actually heard the word. Well, they didn't just listen they received it. It's a, it's a different kind of hearing. It's actually hearing what the speaker is saying. It's taking it in and receiving it. They recognize it as God's word. During Jesus' day, there were a lot of people who heard Jesus preach, and they didn't want anything to do with it. They weren't listening. Oh, they heard his words. They saw his mouth move, but they didn't receive it. They didn't receive it in their heart. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were rocky. Their hearts were thorny, and they didn't receive it. And then there were those who heard from heaven, received the word, and it changed their life. Nicodemus was one of those. In James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Put aside all filthiness, these thorns. Put away wickedness, more thorns. In humility, receive the word implanted. In humility is a picture of a bowed knee. Humility saying, I, I don't have this. I can't be spiritual. But God, I need you in this soil. Lord, I want your word. I want you living word implanted in me. Lord, I want you, Spirit of God, to live through me. And the Bible says in that spirit of humility, receiving the word implanted, not receiving the word in the ear, not just listening to a preacher on Sunday morning, or even reading it in your quiet time at home, but letting it land in your heart. Then and only then will it save your souls. So he goes on to say, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word. Don't just hear it. Don't just know it. Don't just quote it. Live it. Live in the spirit. And it's not something you do later, guys, when you get older like us. It's not something that you just sow your wild oats when you're younger, and then when you get to be like mom and dad, then you'll settle down. No, no, no. It's immediate obedience. You go back and you look at Jesus calling the disciples to himself. You don't see Jesus walking up to Peter, James, and John, and others and saying, hey guys, pretty good at that fishing, aren't you? Yeah, it's impressive. But guys, what if I told you there was something more for your life? What if I told you that you could be a part of the kingdom of God? What, and, and guys, I know, it's, I know that's heavy, I know that's big stuff, and I know you're still young, you're, you're young at your business, and you have bills to pay. Uh, but guys, if you ever get interested, get back to me. No. Jesus said, follow me. And you know what the disciples did? They didn't pray about it. They didn't wait until they got older. They didn't wait until they had worked up enough investments that they could retire. The Bible says they immediately dropped their nets because they had fertile soil. They let that word get implanted in their heart, and they immediately move forward with the Lord. The second thing is, it says not only did they hear the word, but they received the word. John 1, 11 says, and he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. They rejected the seed, but as many as received him allowed the Lord to be the center of their life implanted in them. 
To them he gave the right to become the children of God. It's not enough to know the word, to hear the word. You've got to receive the word. And as a result, you'll bear fruit. So let's take a look at the list again. Do your inventory. Does your soil produce that crop? If that's not happening in your story right now, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you've allowed bad things to be the fruit because of what you've rooted your life in. For some, we need to repent. For others, we need to let the word abide in us. We need to receive the seed daily. We need to daily care over our hearts. For others of us, we need to come back and say, God, forgive me for neglecting the soil. For others it is, Lord, continue to fertilize what you're doing in my heart and let God be the fruit of your life. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of a Baptist. It's not the fruit of a preacher. It's not the fruit of Bill. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? God who lives in you. Does he? Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Where are you at? Your heart is that field, that 20 acres. Where is it at? Does it need repentance? Does it need to be cleared of some stuff? Is there, are there some thorns and thistles that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to purge out of your life? He said, if you will confess it, if you will surrender it, I will forgive you and cleanse you of every single thorn, every unrighteous, detestable thing. Do you need to confess your sin? Do you need to repent? Or is your confession, Lord, I want the right heart. Lord, I desire to honor you, but Lord, I've not been in your word. I'm not allowed your seeds to take root in my heart. Lord, today, I return back to you. And Lord, do a fresh work in this heart. Daily, Lord, I will daily walk with you. Is that your commitment? Maybe you've been walking with the Lord and you feel like all you're getting is dry ground dirt. Trust God with the seed. In due time, don't give up. Keep walking with him. Keep showing up daily. Take care of the soil. God will do the rest. Maybe God's been speaking to you about a particular decision you need to make and you have not publicly honored God with that commitment. I'm going to encourage you to come to one of our ministers and declare publicly what God's doing in your life or what he has done this summer. Make that public. Let's rejoice together. Let's do some holy dancing in this place, celebrating what God is doing in your life. Those who are in the Spirit should walk by the Spirit. Would you do that right now? Father, in Jesus' name, may we be spiritual. Not religious, but spiritual. Allowing you, Spirit of God, to live in our story. Allowing you, Spirit of God, to get glory. God, do that now in Jesus' name.